You're listening to the Slavic Literature Pod, your shelf-help guide to all things Slavic. I'm Cameron Lalana. And I am the Matt Garrisonovich. Today we are covering Part 1, Chapter 2 of Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate. Uh, we have a lot of comments that people share today, so I'm excited to chat about the thoughts that people had about uh, us getting into the camps. Not excited about the camps. Uh, let me make that clear. That's 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 the official podcast stance here. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow on past that right into the comments, <laughs> which, like you said, we had a lot today, and I was very bad at at um, accumulating them into our shared document here. I was mostly nodding along in agreement, broadly speaking, <laughs> with everybody so i wanted to start by talking about the quote that you included in our post that went out this morning on national socialism and the language specifically of it because i think that's a really important point that grossman emphasizes here and will continue to emphasize because i think that when we look back at world war ii and we look at some of the these terrible atrocities that are committed in the holocaust and we tend to think that well i wouldn't have done that and it's really easy with hindsight to look back and say that was bad but what he is kind of pointing to and this is i think why the book continues to transcend time and why we continue to read it nowadays is that it it really is it kind of acts as the sort of warning in a lot of ways where he talks about how easy it is actually to fall into doing really bad things, not necessarily bad people, uh, uh, how good people do bad things, or just how normal people do really bad things, and how it can be compartmentalized and whatnot. And in in this quote, he says that national socialism, it, it seems at home in the camps because it's not peering down at the common people through the sort of monocle. He says it talks and it jokes in their own language. It's down to earth and plebeian. It has an excellent knowledge of the mind, language, and soul of those it deprived of freedom. And that, to me, is one of the most profound points of this, really of the whole book, actually, um, but especially of this chapter. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That's something that one of our users pointed out to us. This come, one comes from Leah, and I'll be uh, adjusting this quote a little bit since part of it is the, the exact same quote that you uh, just read to us. Mostovsky's observation about national socialism being of the common people and animated by them is chillingly relevant, I think. These camps are essentially controlled cities in miniature, animated by that populist spirit of national socialism. I don't necessarily think what Grossman describes in The Hell of Treblinka as, quote, wolves in human skin is how this dynamic... Uh, dynamic ultimately comes about. I think it's easy for people to fall into these roles when there's a suggestion of communal bonding, because as Mostovsky observes, and getting to that quote that you mentioned, um, and then I think we see things like this all the time. Uh, Leah says, I think I heard you all mention Hannah Arendt's Eichmann in Jerusalem in a recent episode. I'm interested to hear what people think about the whole concept of banality of evil as it concerns this self-policing element. And as you responded to Leah in the Discord, that's something that uh, Grossman's going to be kind of engaging with uh, later on here. So that's something to pay attention to. Yeah, we have another 200 pages or so, I think, at least to go. There's somewhere in here, there's one passage which is a really direct response. I don't know if he had read the essay uh, before writing this book. I, I need to check on my chronology. We'll talk about it in one of our main sort of numbered primary episodes on the book because I want to go back and kind of dig into that a little bit more. But there is what is, if he did not read it, he may as well have because there is a literal direct response to some of those passages in this book. 
but yeah. it is a really important thing to flag now because that's really what the book is concerned with. Yeah. And qu quite frankly, if you're not at least as a person a little concerned with it, then, you know, I don't know, maybe pay attention a little bit more closely because <laughs> we probably should all be concerned a little bit with this question. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, moving on from there, there's another point that we saw a couple people address, uh, which is that in this chapter, Grossman is talking about the new types of criminals under, you know, created by national socialism. And some people really caught on to the phrasing of, of national socialism as opposed to Nazism or fascism. Um, and so we had user Sally said, you know, is there any significance to the way Grossman uses the words national socialism as opposed to Nazism or fascism? And uh, another user, Natty Boy, also on Discord, there's a repetition of the innovations of national socialism. And I'm wondering if this repetition is Grossman playing on how a Soviet reader would think about socialism in the USSR, like the US, USSR's brand of socialism is sold as being innovative and life-altering. And here Grossman is giving us his inverse or what could be seen as a darker side to it. And I think this kind of question um, is something that we're seeing from, from more than one readers. There's a couple other readers who mentioned some comments in here that um, are along the similar things who are already picking this point where we're talking about the prison camps of uh, the Nazi prison camps and starting to make comparisons to the USSR, which I think will be a stronger element later on. I, I don't know if it's, it, it's more a suggestion here. And I think us as readers knowing where this book is going to go is going to kind of inform that. Um, so I think that's one thing you said to address um, that the question that we, we talked a little bit about the uh, using national socialism in the server, but I mean, I think without doing any research, gut instinct is that it doesn't, it's not necessarily as loaded as a term as using it now in a sense where someone is often using it to like kind of emphasize like the national socialism to draw comparisons to USSR, but Grossman doesn't need that to draw comparisons to the USSR. He's doing it in much different and, and frankly, much more sophisticated ways. Um, yeah. I kind of wanted to avoid that topic a little bit and just the sense that I don't want to fall into this sort of reductive horseshoe theory. Oh, they're basically the same thing because I don't think that's the point that he's getting at. I think he, he really masterfully looks at the, the overlaps and kind of what it's like to be under an authoritarian government. But I don't know that I'm a hundred convinced, a hundred percent convinced that he's, uh, you know, saying they're the same thing, essentially. There are a lot of comparisons and points of comparison, but I think that, I don't know. I got, I got to read through it again on this one before I really get into it, but I'm kind of hesitant. I think that kind of goes along with our usual discussion of talking about, so-called dissident writers, where as you know, yeah. all, this all dissident writers become like mm -hmm. oh, you're anti-government. Whereas you know, the reality is, I think you could call Grossman a dissident writer, uh, but you could also call Solzhenitsyn a dissident writer, and certainly those two people are, are not dissident writers in the same way in any meaningful context. Uh, frankly, I don't, I don't think Grossman's a, he's not a dissident writer. Really. You know, I mean, I, maybe you could you could call him. I mean, maybe you could make this argument, but I, I don't. Think, I don't think that you yeah. know, really he falls into that same camp, which is why I like him more. Than somebody like Solzhenitsyn. That's just on like a personal level of taste. Sure. I find these people who are really, really enthralled with what they're doing, who fall away from it, more convincing than somebody who has always been hardened and against this idea from the get go. You know? Yeah, definitely. That's so, just me personally. No, I, I get where you're coming from, and I think that's something to to um, talk about because I'm going to bring two more lines in here. Um, this one's from uh, Mike Shaw, who is also on Instagram as Books to Pug. There's Our number one pug follower. <laughs> I think the I, I think in kind of talking about um, the camp and the ways the attitudes that the prisoners have, which is very international here, right? I, I think the giveaway of that is that the sense of freedom and true communist spirit we see uh, is happening in exile outside of Soviet territory. These could have been singing these songs in Moscow, but Grossman's placing it, you know, in this camp instead. 
following on the same thing, I'm also going to read one from Emma here. People have already touched on this, but the way Grossman writes about industrialization makes me think about how the work camps are kind of the horrifying logical conclusion to the nationally planned industrial economy. So on the one side, you have Grossman having at least at one point, buying into the basic premise of the USSR as a socialistic project. And then on the other side, you have the stark vision of what pure collectivization can look like when people come completely subsumed under the broader economic superstructure. Uh, That's something that more than one person tracked is this sort of regularization of life, planned geometry. Um, And of course, in the novel, this is um, being drawn specifically to to the fascist forces, uh, to how German ideology overlays the landscape. Um, but as we mentioned, there are already people who are starting to make connections that I think the book will have uh, more so later on where we start to see comparisons, more explicit comparisons between German camps and the, the Soviet gulag. Although I think we, as Matt said earlier, I think it's, we have to kind of be careful around how those, how we read those comparisons, because I think pro and anti are a little bit too simple. And especially, you know, if you read Grossman's work, you know, he has, he reserves much greater uh, depth of, of hatred for the uh, for the Nazi forces. Um, and it's, I think he, he does, he is, he's critical and he will be, you'll be reading this of the Soviet system and, and later in life. Yeah. He'll go way more into it, especially in everything flows. Uh, but here you still have to remember that we're still not that far off of, you know, world war two we're, we're, we're years onward now, but we're also like, um, this is not like a sudden harsh change. This is a slow process of years of, of Grossman meeting people returning from, from the camps of like, a, a, you know, as Matt said, someone who is deeply ingrained in the system, slowly moving away. So um, I think a pure one-on-one comparison might be a little too strong to make here, but for sure, people who are reading this are definitely tracking these comparisons that, that are going to be made. Yeah. And I think as we move towards the next chapter tomorrow, or I guess by the time you hear this episode, it'll be today, perhaps. Chapter three here. We'll start to see a little bit of how this kind of diverges, uh, at, at least uh, from my point of view. Uh, I think we'll start to get into more and more why this is or, or was kind of revolutionary as it was being written and what it's kind of reacting against and what remains important for us to look at today. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree that I, I don't believe in this one-to-one comparison completely. And we'll see. Maybe I'll convince you. Maybe I won't. <laughs> well, it's well, okay. It's it's not the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't if you don't agree, Matt will come out and find you. Um, well, I mean that's a given. I mean, so. maybe we should have put that in the front of the tin. But sometimes you get on Mister Bones' wild ride and you find out the terms and conditions along the way. But, yeah, I don't know what everybody thought when I've been saying you'll hear from me again soon. <laughs> 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 You'll hear from me again soon, roughly around 12.30 a.m. tonight. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> thank you all for being here today, and we will you'll hear from us again tomorrow. Hey, 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 hey. So-